Welcome to Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, used to be a broadcaster. Still kind of dip my toes in the water every chance I get. Like to dip my toes in the water as an investor too, Ron. And that's something we want to focus on this time around is you, you've always been a big believer in stocks. You like to control your destiny with stocks. And that's where we're going to focus this time around. Why do you like to be a stock investor? Well, you know, my favorite commercial on TV is National Car Rental. Patrick Warburton. Exactly. The guy in the ads is a control freak. You know, he doesn't like to talk to anybody. He likes to have control of what he of when he take any car in the line. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Go anywhere I want. Go around the desk. Drop the keys off in a box. Everything works perfect. Well, I like owning stocks just because it gives me a lot more control of not only what I own, but when I buy it, when I sell it, I can be contrarian and buy when everybody else is selling. It gives me control over over my cash flows. There's a lot of reasons to like stocks, and it's my preferred method of investing, individual investing in stocks and bonds, because I think it gives me a lot more control than mutual funds or ETFs, frankly. Okay, so we can say you want to be a stock buyer. So, first of all, how do you go about picking a stock? Is there, I mean, there's so many variables and so many things to take into consideration here. Uh, you, you can look, anybody that wants to think about buying a stock can go online and, and type in a quote on, for instance, the Toronto Stock Exchange, and you can see historical graphs of how the, the, the commodity has performed over a period of time. You can see price-to-earnings ratios. But a lot of that is really foreign language to people, isn't it? Yeah, well, you can certainly get uh, get some newsletters, and I don't want to steal our thunder because we're going to have a show here in the next uh, – or podcast here in the next month or so on the best newsletters to get. So if you're looking for good advice, for example, one of the newsletters I've gotten, it's called Investment Quality Trends. And it looks at high quality stocks that are consistently growing their dividends over time. And it covers the Canadian and the U.S. market. It's about 235 bucks a year. So if you're just starting, uh, Investment Quality Trends or in Canada, the Investment Reporter, are two very, very good newsletters, and you can get both of them for a couple hundred bucks a year each, which is a very, very cheap way to get high-quality research. And neither of these firms have an underwriting department, which means they're not putting out glossy reports to pump up the price of a stock. They make their money by giving you advice. If the advice is crappy, you're going to cancel your subscription to their service, and they're going to lose money. So they have a vested interest in making sure the quality of their research is high. And one of the things we've talked about on, on a couple of the shows previous is you're a big believer in, in sectors that, I don't want to use the word bulletproof, I think you used the term that Warren Buffett, they have moats around them. If you're looking for a particular commodity that has a good life cycle, it, it performs regularly, it, it pays a good dividend, is that one of the big keys? Yeah, I have most of my own portfolio in companies that have regular and consistent earnings histories like breweries, distilleries, utilities, food processors, school busing, healthcare, funeral homes, those kind of businesses where you use their service all the time. And frankly, the companies I like 
are almost monopolistic where railroads there's not much choice if you want to ship your stuff by rail if you turn on your lights you usually only have one maybe two providers in your area that you can choose from so you're kind of held captive by what they want to charge you and if you own their shares that's good because the more consistent their earnings are over time generally the better you're going to do and some of these companies over the past 15 to 20 years, there's been so much uh, conglomeration and, you know, companies absorbing other companies. I, I think when you talk about distilleries, uh, you and I are both big fans of Diageo. They have bought up numerous companies over the years, and they I think they've become the biggest one in the world now, haven't they? I think they're, I, I believe they're number one. They might be number two, but I believe right now they're number one. And of course... You take a look at, at fine distilled spirits, and this is just a good example. Uh, go to the store and look at the difference between a 10-year-old bottle of scotch and a 30-year-old bottle of scotch. And if you have a calculator, sit down and figure out the difference in price between those two. And just figure out all these distilleries out there that have these oak casks, and this stuff sits there year after year after year, growing in price between 7 and 10% a year. Now, that's a great business. Well, and the other thing, I've, I've often used this in the, in the line of work I'm in now. I do, I do a little bit of sales of wine and spirits as a, as a hobby more than anything. And I tell people, you have to have a really good relationship with your banker. When you're making a product that you're not going to sell for 30 years, <laughs> people wonder, like, why is it so expensive? Well, it's 30 years old, and it was made 30 years ago, and it sat there and aged. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why the price goes up. But, but as you say, it's a company that, that has a broad portfolio of different companies. They have even you – know, I think they – they own water companies and everything else as part of their portfolio. So there's a lot of diversification within that company, right? Yeah, exactly. And of course, everybody has a different moral template that they're working from. So if you don't like nuclear or you don't like tobacco or you don't like defense or, or you don't like some particular sector of the economy, and when I used to teach investment classes, I would typically hold up a portfolio of one of these um, ethical funds and a portfolio of a non-ethical fund and I would pass them around the room and ask the people in the class if they could tell which was which and I usually got about 50-50. So people's ethics frankly are very personal things. So if you have even an ethical fund you know I know people that look at these ethical funds and go well I wouldn't buy that and I wouldn't buy this and I don't want that well if you buy individual stocks you can own all the things you want to own and if you got a moral problem with something just don't buy it buy something else you can pigeonhole it that way basically Absolutely, right yeah all right now let's talk a little bit about uh if if you want to get into something like mutual funds we were talking about individual stocks mutual funds are made up of individual stocks and a lot of people have held mutual funds over the years, but there is a distinct difference there. With mutual funds, you're not in control of your own destiny. So, for example, markets go down. Everybody panics and sells. Well, you're forced to take a loss because you're a part owner of that basket when maybe you didn't want to take a loss. Maybe you would have been patient and waited it out. Well, maybe next year... Um, you're, you've got some real estate you're going to sell and you've got some massive profits and you could really use the loss next year against those profits as well. 
you're not in control of human nature. So if you're a fund manager and you talk to other fund managers about your biggest grief, and it's the fact that money always arrives at the top of the market. So when everything is going well, the fund manager is getting gushes of money coming in. And when the markets are low, he's getting all the money being taken out as people panic and sell. Now, typically, you don't want money when things are high, and you want money when things are low. And it's tough to get that happy balance in a fund because usually the fund flows are going the other way. So you have to wait. Your timing is, is so crucial in this. If you, you see something that you perceive to be a good opportunity to buy and you don't have the cash available, you're kind of handcuffed, aren't you? Uh, totally. <laughs> All right. So mutual funds is one area that you want to look at. And, and other things that people are concerned about is they say, well, if I'm going to go into a stock, it's awfully expensive right now. We talked about how the market can be cyclical at different times of the year. Do you take that into account when you're, when you're going to make a stock purchase? Do you think, I might want to wait for this till the fall because it may come off a little bit? Well, the thing about especially an ETF or a fund is a lot of times they're buying a basket. So they're buying an entire sector. So they'll buy maybe 20, sometimes 30 stocks in that sector that they'll have in their fund. But let's say markets are very, very risky, and you say to yourself, well, you know, with the pipeline concerns, I don't necessarily want to be in Canadian energy stocks because they can't get their product to market. And also, I'd like to be in the international markets because West Texas Intermediate Crude is trading at about $10 less than Brent Crude right now, and natural gas prices are two to three times higher internationally than they are in Canada. So you say, look, I want to go with companies that uh, can get access to market, that have higher returns because the commodity is selling at a higher in another region. And a lot of these companies that I'm seeing or the array of companies I'm seeing, frankly, they got too much debt. Well, you might decide, well, I don't want to buy the Canadian market. I might want to buy a Royal Dutch Shell, or maybe I want to buy an Exxon, which are global players and can take advantage of these markets. And so you might over wanna overweight because you're conservative right now and you say, well, this market could bounce around for a while, but I'd rather own a big integrated company with a triple A AAA or double A credit rating that pays a four or five or six percent dividend in international markets where they're making more money than play the Canadian market. Well, with owning individual stocks, you can do that. Okay, let's talk a little bit too about actually buying the stock. Let's talk hypothetically. There's a spread there. If you're a buyer of a stock, you're prepared to pay $10 for it. Well, the person that's selling that particular stock wants $10.30 or $10.40. So if you do the basic math, uh, you know, you're dealing with a percentage right off the get-go, the spread between buying and selling. A lot of long-term studies have looked at the cost of spread on your ultimate total returns. And everyone is focused on fees. And fees you should focus on, especially with funds. You can lose over a 25 or 30 year investing period. You can lose 30% of your total return on fees if you're not careful. There's a commercial on television about that right now. All the time. Yeah. But what people don't look at is the spread. And of course, you won't find a discount brokerage firm telling you about spread. If you trade a lot, spread the, the price between the bid 
what somebody's willing to buy it at and what somebody's willing to sell it at is often between like one and four, one and five percent. And so if you're trading all the time, you can lose that unless you're very, very careful with your order pricing, you can find that you're losing a lot of performance every year by just the spread, by neglecting the spread of how much is the between the bid and the ask, and it costs you. Well, as you, and you know, I mean, just do the math. If you if you're ten dollars and you and you, when somebody wants ten fifty, you're in the hole right off the get go by that fifty cents per share. So you have to find some way to make that back, and that generally takes time. All right, let's talk a little bit too about dividends. Uh, there are dividend cycles, something that I don't think I was aware of until you sent me this note. Different companies pay their dividends at different times of the year, and you want to try to balance that out over the calendar year. Yeah, typically. Stocks pay their dividends four times a year. Now, occasionally you'll see some stocks pay monthly, but most are on a what we call a, a quarterly cycle. And so you have cycle one, which is January, April, July, and October. Then you have stocks that pay on cycle two, which is February, May, August, and November. Then you have cycle three, which is March, June, September, and December. So if you spend a little bit of time and go into the investment reporter, for example, which talks about how to build a portfolio with stocks paying in these different cycles, and by doing so, you can really smooth out your payments so that they're roughly equal in value each month, and this can produce a nice, even monthly income for you. And it's very easy to do that with stocks, much harder to do it with other types of investments. And again, to focus on that business of taxes. If, you, if you're if you ahead in a stock one year and you, you are facing perhaps a capital gain, if you have something that you've taken a loss on previously, you want to do your timing correctly there within the within the tax year to have the, the profit offset the loss or the loss offset the profit, I guess, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. And so, you know, typically what I like to do is sort of at the end of October, when I've got uh, a couple months left in the in the trading year, I like to sit down and look at my gains and losses for the year and also look at, take a forward view. Am I going to sell some real estate or is it time to sell some gold or just other things in your portfolio? And, you know, if you've got some big gains that you're going to be taking in a year, well, maybe now is not the best time to take the loss. It'd be more appropriate and give you a little bit more traction if you took it in the year that you've made the gain. So, you know, sitting down and doing those calculations at the at, toward the end of the year can save you a lot of tax money. And uh, frankly, the best way to do that, because you can tailor exactly the amount of losses that you want to take by owning an individual stock. Well, if you're owning individual stocks, nobody likes to take losses, and that's one of the things that you have to pay attention to. By by owning individual stocks, you kind of control your own destiny. You can, you don't necessarily have to jump on something because it's the flavor of the month, if you will. You can you can plan your strategy a little more effectively. If you think prices are a little bit too high, and you have reason to believe that things may soften off a little bit, it's all about timing, right? You don't have to be in both feet at once, you can sit with cash and wait for opportunities. Absolutely. As Warren Buffett says, you don't have to swing at every pitch. You can sit there and and wait. You don't have to swing at the high outside, the low inside, the spitball. You can wait. You want one right down the middle. <laughs> you want one that comes right down the pipeline over the plate, and then you swing for the fence. But you can be selective. You don't have to have uh, an activity uh, quotient where you look and say, well, to make myself feel worthy, I need to make 
20 trades a month. You can sit there and be patient, whereas most funds, the turnover is a lot higher. You know, and even people that trade ETFs, the turnover tends to be a, be a lot higher than it is with stocks. We should touch, just, just to briefly touch on that, ETFs only came into being just a handful of years ago. What was the impetus behind that, do you think? Well, I think the impetus behind ETFs, and we're certainly, our next show, we're going to be talking about ETFs, and then we'll talk about the pros and cons of ETFs and mutual funds, and both of them have lots of pros. So this show is not designed to be uh, for us to slag those other two, but typically they tend to get all the attention where I still think that owning individual stocks is a very, very good way to participate in the markets. But ETFs came about because for two reasons. Number one is that most mutual fund managers have found it very hard to beat the markets, especially the big markets in places like Europe and U.S. where stocks are very, very well covered, and secondly, because of the costs. ETFs, you can get many, many ETFs where your annual management expense ratio, as they call it, is a quarter to half point, and some even less, whereas a lot of funds are, are in that 2% uh, to 3% range, and you look at the cost differential and you're not getting outperformance. So, uh, in many cases, an ETF is a very, very good place to put some money uh, and to let your money grow because the, you're getting almost they're better than the you're getting you're getting returns that are better than your average mutual fund, and you're paying a lot less for those returns. So to review today, uh, individual stocks is is Ron's personal favorite area. It's one that takes a little bit of homework. You have to pay attention, but as you say, there are there are resources out there good uh, financial newsletters and things like that that can lead you on the right path that aren't necessarily, uh, as you say, don't have a vested interest in particular companies. They just look at the analytics of that company and decide whether or not it's a good buy or not a good buy. Absolutely. And uh, let me preface this by saying that if you're going to own individual stocks, you have to be able to spend some time. I would say that you need to spend a couple hours a week uh, looking at your portfolio and reading our reports just to stay up on the things you own. And if you don't have that kind of time, then there's certainly mutual funds, ETFs, bring a lot of strong advantages to the table because you don't have to spend that amount of time. So there you go. Another installment of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert. If you have a topic that you'd like us to cover in future podcasts, you can reach us through the CFCW website at cfcw.com. And again, it's under the Making Money tab. You can send us an email there and we will try to address your question as best we can. Ron Hebert is a retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for joining us on Making Money. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.